Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Our goal for this morning is to see and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and this evening to see and delight in him in his death. Amen. We just sang words that I hope are true to you. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. I cannot write on your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But I can remind you of some things that we know about our Savior and trust the Holy Spirit to do that. Tell me the story of Jesus, sweetest that ever was heard. He is the only hero in which we ought to delight. He is more glorious and fair than all the sons of men. In the Song of Solomon we read, What is thy beloved more than any other beloved? And the woman there in the Song of Solomon begins to list all the attributes of her blessed lover. And when we are asked about the head of our religion, we can list, I hope, many attributes that make him the exception of the universe and a glorious Savior indeed. In John chapter 12, which I gave to you, A couple of weeks ago, I'm simply looking at it for a reminder this morning. Let us remember that there have been others in the history of the world who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and wanted to see him up close and personal. John 12, 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And we went on and explained the following verses as well a couple of weeks ago as to how the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was the minister of the circumcision, was already including Gentiles before he went to the cross. And we see here that there were Greeks that were not so much interested in the feast They were not so much interested in Philip or the disciples, not even Peter, the first pope, as some would say, foolishly. They wanted to see Jesus. And I hope that that is our desire this morning. Look back at Luke 10, and let me remind you of two women. One that wanted to see Jesus, and one that was cumbered about with the cares of her life. Luke chapter 10. And the purpose of this preaching... One of the purposes this morning is for us to examine our own hearts. Do we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is this a shocking reminder to you of something you ought to love after a week or months of not having thought much about him? The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of our religion. He is the high priest of our faith. He is the cornerstone of our church. He is the foundation of our faith. He is the author and he is the finisher of it. He is our redeemer. He is our savior and our Lord. He is the coming judge. He is our creator. He is all in all. He is the alpha and the omega. And we do not think of him enough. And so we remind ourselves this morning to love the Lord Jesus Christ. We read of these women in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There are many things with which we can get preoccupied. There is one needful thing, and it is the good part of life, and it is sitting at the feet of Jesus and loving him and hearing his word. And brethren, you know and I know about you and you know about me that we are torn away from
from our thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ every day of our lives. And yet this should be the chief love of our souls. And so today, I want us to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. Now, I can't preach to you four Gospels. The Apostle John, in a hyperbole, said, If everything Jesus had done were to have been written in books, the world itself could not contain all those books. That is a hyperbole. Jesus only had a ministry of three and a half years. Everything he did could be contained in one or two books. But... He was pointing out to the fact that what I've shown you is a sampling of what Jesus Christ did when he was here in this world. Don't be alarmed at what I've just told you. There's many hyperboles in the Bible. And if you miss them, you're going to be a confused Bible reader. The emphasis there is that John was saying there's many more things. I'm out of space. I'm to the last chapter of my... He didn't have chapters when he wrote. I'm to the last chapter of my gospel. Jesus did many things. I've told you the ones that the Holy Spirit helped me select so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's plenty for us to believe, isn't there? Are we like these devout Greeks who want to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we come through the door on Sunday morning? Do we prepare Saturday evening? I want to see Jesus. Lord, forgive us where that was not the cry of our hearts. Forgive us. If we took neglect of meeting with that earthly monarch that I described a few minutes ago, we would be in dread terror that we had shown a lackadaisical attitude toward him. How much more shall we be in terror if we don't worship him with reverence and godly fear and delight in him as the chief love of our souls after what he has done for us? I preached last Sunday about delighting in the Lord from Psalm 37.4. But we have something better to delight in than David saw clearly, and that is we have the Lord Jesus Christ to delight in. The God-man who came to earth and who now sits at the right hand in the heavenly places is our Lord and our Savior, our brother and friend, and to whom we are going very soon. One way or the other, we shall soon be with him. Do you love him now? Do you delight in him now? and prove your eternal calling. John the Baptist loved him. John the Baptist was leaping for joy in his mother's womb. The Apostle John loved him. The Apostle John wanted to lie in his bosom at supper. And he gloried in that fact. He opens up his first epistle by saying, we have touched him. Our hands have handled him. That's how close we've been to the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you wish and desire to be as close to him yourself. The Bible speaks of him as the desire of all nations. The righteous within all nations have long desired the seed of the woman that was prophesied in the Garden of Eden. And he is here and he is there in heaven now, having wrought eternal redemption for us. The seed of the woman has come and bruised the serpent's head. We ought to remind ourselves to love him right there's so many obstacles carnal christianity which is being in love with the world while professing a love of christ chokes out the word of god in our hearts chokes out our love for the lord jesus there is such a dichotomy they are such opposites the world and jesus of nazareth they are opposites you can go into the word of god and find other things that are not quite so opposite as the lord jesus christ is to this world Wherever Jesus went, he created division. And there was a division among the people because of him. Some loved him and some hated him. You cannot be neutral toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Either you love him or you hate him because he stands diametrically opposed to everything this world loves. Every hope this world has, he is going to crush into oblivion. He has his own hope that he gives his saints. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning or his carnal Christianity, your love of the world, choked it out? Have thorns grown up and choked it down so it doesn't bear fruit? If you're too busy or too distracted, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean enough to you this morning as he should. If you've grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit, you do not have that witnessing power in your heart and soul that testifies 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're glossing over your sins and you don't think that you're that much of a sinner, that your sins are not that great, then you cannot appreciate the Savior of sinners. He did not come for you. He came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. If you have a self-righteous bone in your body, you're treading on dangerous ground because he didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners. And it's only by knowing and understanding our sinfulness that we fully appreciate his salvation. If you do not prayerfully read the Bible about Jesus Christ, you'll forget him. Right. You know the things you learned in school? If you didn't review those things, how quickly did you forget them? When you crammed for a test, how many days after that test could you have been asked any question practically off that test and you would not have known the answer? Our minds are very fragile and it is only by continuing to go to the Word of God and reminding ourselves. That's why every seventh day we come together. Every day I try to send you something by email because we must be reminded in order for us to continue to delight in the Lord. If we fill our minds with all the inputs that life gives us, and we do not use the input of the Word of God to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall forget Him. We shall lose our love for Him. We will not be like Mary. We will not be like Paul. We will not be like those Greeks. It's easy to get distracted with other aspects of the Word of God. We do not want to get too distracted in the book of Proverbs. We want to be fully distracted with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to focus on Him. Whatever you find in the book of Proverbs was lived out perfectly by Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Because in him were hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Whatever wisdom and knowledge we can find in the book of Proverbs, Jesus did it perfectly. Right. Do you think a strange woman ever seduced him with her words that are as smooth as oil and like butter? Do you think he ever lusted after a beautiful woman in his heart? He was above all that. Right. He was the fulfillment of the book of Proverbs. Perfectly done. And that brings us to what we want to consider this morning and why. First of all, we want to remember that we believe in a doctrine called the imputation of righteousness. And tonight we will look at a doctrine called the imputation of sin. Imputation means to account or to charge to someone a particular thing. The imputation of righteousness is this doctrine. Jesus Christ lived a righteous life and it was imputed. It was charged. It was accounted. It was reckoned, these are the Bible words, to us. That is incredible. For he hath made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. We are going to look briefly this morning at things you well know, but we want to remind ourselves of some events of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we might glory in the doctrine of imputation because his righteousness is our righteousness. Right. When God looks at us legally, and brethren, legally is not just some conceptual theoretical idea. Legally is how we will one day stand before him. He will see the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel a fool this morning? He will see you with the wisdom of Christ. Do you feel a sinner this, are you a sinner this morning? The Lord God will see you in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you profane? Do you feel profane in your treatment of some of his holy things? He will see you in the holiness of the Lamb of God. The doctrine of imputation. So to me, everything I read about the Lord Jesus Christ, I compare what he did to what I would have done in the same set of circumstances, and I thank God for Christ Jesus, my Lord. That, then there's a second reason we want to look at these events of the life of Jesus, because I read in my favorite psalm, Psalm 45 and verse 2, these precious words, Thou art fairer than the sons of men. Amen. I want to show you a beautiful man, and I mean that in the most respectful and reverent terms. I want to show you the most glorious man that has ever lived. And he came into this world for us by name. He knows us. He lives for us every single day of our lives. He is interceding for us. He is the right hand of God for us. He's coming for us. He has an eternal inheritance for us. And he's fairer than all the sons of men. I don't care what kind of a man you find in this life. 
I don't care if you're so stupid as to honor athletes. I don't care if you're so ignorant as to honor those who are financially successful in business. I don't care if you're really benighted in your mind and you love those who have accomplished something educationally. None of them can measure to the Lord Jesus Christ. He exceeds them all in every category. Two reasons why we want to look at the life of Jesus. One, the doctrine of imputation, because his righteousness is ours. Two, he's fairer than all the sons of men. So why shouldn't we want to look at him and delight in such a glorious Savior? Where do I start? What do I do? I'm desperate for help. The Lord's got to help me. Let's just look at a few basic things that we know about our Lord Jesus Christ and delight in him this morning. And your duty while I'm preaching is to ask yourself and to ask the Lord, do I love you as much as I should? And if I do not, forgive me and help me. Amen. Because no one in here loves him like you should. May the Lord bless us, though, to get closer to that. Amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I do not turn you to this passage because of the season. I turn you to this passage because of Isaiah 7.14. The prophet Isaiah told the nation of Israel, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive. Wonder of wonders. How did our man Christ Jesus come into being as the man Christ Jesus? You know, each of us, we can go back and look at the parents of each of us and we can say, pitiful, pitiful. We can go back to the parents of those parents, probably not around, and say, pitiful, pitiful. But where did the Lord Jesus Christ come from? All you women, a wonderful, virtuous girl, and she would have been a girl in Israel. They didn't wait till they were 40 after having a 20-year career to get married. She would have been a girl, what we call a girl, a teenage young lady. When she felt the first twinges and the first bubbles inside her belly of a child, she had never known a man. And she knew exactly where that child had come from, and she believed with faith that was mightier than Zacharias the priest. Because he didn't believe the things that were told him, but she did. And she is a blessed woman because God chose her to be the mother of our Lord. But can you imagine a woman having a baby without a man? Because, brethren, if a man would have touched the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wouldn't be fairer than the sons of men. He would be a mere son of man. But he is the son of man because he is the son of man by holy conception by the Holy Ghost. Look at Luke chapter 1 and let us remind ourselves of this glorious event. Verse 26 of Luke 1. And in the sixth month, an angel, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
she went on to tell her about her cousin Elizabeth. Brethren, this is the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Supernatural conception by the power of God coming over her and by the instrumentality of the Holy Ghost, so that the child she gave birth to shall be called the Son of God because God was indeed, literally, his Father. The man Christ Jesus is the Son of God, a doctrine that we hold dear here and by which we defy all the creeds of men as they speculate about the definitions of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the mediator, the man Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God by his divine conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Amen. Now, what if you were Mary? How would you send a note to your espoused husband, Joseph? Let's come over to Matthew chapter 1 and see if the Bible doesn't tell us about Joseph finding out about this event. Any of us who have married, any of you younger people that will marry, you will look at the parents of the person that you're marrying if you have any wisdom. But again, I'd like to say, when you look at the parents of any of us, and I mean no disrespect, pitiful in comparison to this. Right. When God is your father, wow. When man is pulled out so that the sin that is transmitted by a man and by every father is pulled out of the equation, we have the Lord Jesus Christ in absolute splendor and perfection conceived by the power of God in the womb of a virgin. Biologically, through Mary, the son of David. Legally, through Joseph, the son of David. Prophetically and by covenant, by the power of God, the son of David. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. What an alarming event to Joseph. You can imagine the character of Mary for the Lord to have chosen and blessed her. And the character of Joseph is about to be listed here as being a great man of character to find out that his bride-to-be, his espoused wife, his fiancée, was pregnant. But the Lord took care of both of these parents, didn't he? Right. Yep. And don't be alarmed by my use of the word parents for both Joseph and Mary because it is found that way in the Bible several times. Right. Because Joseph, for all practical purposes, practical purposes, for as long as Joseph lived, was his father and took care of him and was legally looked at as his father. Right. And so they are together called his parents because he had the role of a father to the Lord Jesus Christ as a child. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, and you can imagine the turmoil of thought, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we can go on and read that Joseph did as the angel told him to, and he did not know Mary, his wife, sexually, until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And then he knew her repeatedly because she brought forth many other sons and daughters. The Catholics do not know anything about our Lord Jesus Christ in truth. Amen. But look at the man in turmoil. But the Lord comes to him by an angel in a dream and tells him to go ahead and marry Mary because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Right. And I hope that both Joseph and Mary knew Isaiah 7:14, and for the comfort that that passage would have given that they were the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of the origin of our Lord Jesus Christ. So great was this conception that when Mary made haste to run into the hill country of Judea to meet her cousin Elizabeth, as soon as she enters the house and salutes Elizabeth, the babe John the Baptist, who is six months along, leaps in his mother's womb at joy at the presence of his Lord and, her mo and his mother. 
And we read about that two weeks ago in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 44. He was the son of David by Joseph, and he was the son of David by Mary. Right. He was the son of David through two different sons of David, one through Solomon and one through a son named Nathan. But the son of David twice told. He is the fulfillment of every prophecy given to David that God would raise up a son to be his king forever. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we know well where Mary gave birth to our Lord. In a stable, behind an inn, for there was no room for this poor couple. If they would have been wealthy, room would have been made. But they were a poor carpenter and his wife. And so in a stable, she brought forth her firstborn son. And while the world didn't care, and while they were in a stable with all the smells that are in a stable, heaven cared. And if we are wise, we would care with them. Because it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that the Lord God said, on this day, let all the angels of God worship him. And when God says, let all the angels of God worship him, do you know what happens? All the angels of God worship him. That is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, let thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. Because those angels exist for one purpose, to do the will of God. And when he said, let all the angels of God worship him, they did. And some of them came to earth. And though men on this world did not know what was happening, nor care, look at this event. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What an event. What other man came into his existence this way? Though born in a stable, look at the announcement. What announcement do men give today? They tie a blue balloon around the mailbox. And so the neighborhood knows that a boy has been brought into the world. But here's the heavenly host is announcing the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what it says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Because this son was going to make peace with God for all of the elect. Peace. Remember, when, when the prophet Haggai encouraged the builders of that second temple, though it was so small, he said, don't worry about that because I'm going to put my glory in this place and the desire of all nations is going to come to this house and in this place he's going to make peace because it was in that second house that the veil of the temple was rent in two as the Lord Jesus Christ made peace for the sins of all his people. Remember the doctrine of imputation. The imputation of his righteousness to us and the imputation of our sins to him occurred and he made peace for us. Goodwill toward men. Is this goodwill toward his elect? Absolutely. You know, the the new versions read, peace toward men of goodwill. And that's a bunch of baloney. And I was very kind in what I just said. That's a bunch of baloney to say peace toward men of goodwill. There are no men of goodwill in this world. It is peace and God's goodwill toward them. And it is that goodwill by which we are saved. There are no men of goodwill that save themselves by cooperating with this gift of peace. It is peace and the goodwill of God toward us by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's the will of our salvation. It is not the will of the flesh nor the will of man. That is a ridiculous, heretical, blasphemous notion to change the word of God that way. It is peace and goodwill toward men. 
But what an announcement. This is our Savior. So far, is he fairer than the sons of men? The sons of men are all conceived by men who have a lifespan of approximately 73 years. Our Lord Jesus Christ was conceived by the power of the Ancient of Days. Who is, who was, and who shall ever be. Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, I am. Perpetually, eternally, from everlasting to everlasting. Is he better in his conception? Amen. How about in his birth announcement? Instead of some overweight African-American nurse coming out to the waiting room and saying, we have a boy. We have the heavenly host crying out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth toward men of, and, and goodwill toward men. What a blessed announcement that the Lord made of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, though hardly anyone knew him except these shepherds, and you ought to read about the shepherds. The shepherds rejoiced this announcement. They hurriedly left their sheep there and traveled into Bethlehem to see what the angels had told them. And then they came back and just reveled with each other in the glory of the announcement. Now they were there in the fields, and we are not. They saw the angels with their literal eyes. We do not. They heard the angels with their ears. We do not. But are you as excited? Are the eyes of your faith as good as their little balls of muscle called eyeballs and as good as their audio nerves? Do your eyes and ears of faith see and hear the announcement of our Lord Jesus Christ? Wise men traveled from far to find him as well. Now, why did they come to, to see him? What did they want to do to him? We want to worship him. We don't know how many. We don't know from what country they were from. But remember, prior to the Roman Empire, it was the Greek Empire and the Persian Empire that was to the east of Israel. And so they could have very well come from one of the great cities of the former Persian and Greek empires out of the east, which is east of Israel, and come to Israel. But wise men came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and they gave this little child gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh because he is fairer than the sons of men. Why would wise men travel so far with such expensive gifts to give a young child unless he was a great child? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. There's never been a baby that was more literally true than the Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes think that Jesus of Nazareth is a theological thought, that he's a spirit. He was a baby. He was a boy. He was a young man. He was a man in the prime of life. And he is forever a glorified man. And you shall see him as a glorified man in heaven. Don't ever forget that about the Lord Jesus Christ. There is too much confusion about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. When you see and watch the Lord Jesus Christ conduct himself, you see as much as you can bear of the nature of God. When you see Jesus Christ glorified in heaven, it's as much as you'll be able to bear of the glory of God. For it's in his, he is the express image of God. But he is a man. And he is a man that suffered all the temptations of this life that we suffer, yet he never sinned. We may go to him with confidence and trust and knowledge that he can commiserate with us perfectly. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Do we have any young men in here who are 12 years old? 11. We have young men and young women, little girls and boys. The Lord Jesus Christ was already showing his character that all of us adults wish we had had when we were his age in this passage because look at how he conducted himself i want you to notice a couple of things out of this passage i want to begin reading at verse 41 now his parents went to jerusalem every year at the feast of the passover and when he was 12 years old they went up to jerusalem after the custom of the feast and when they had fulfilled the days as they returned 
the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. I want you to notice two things about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth when he was 12 years old. 12. I have a brother in here. We both know what we were like at 12. 14. 16. We were fools. The Bible tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Does everyone else in here understand what I mean when I say we were fools? Amen. But the Lord Jesus Christ was consumed by his father's business at 12. He is fairer than the sons of men. Amen. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? The worship of God, the defense of the doctrine of God, was already the consuming interest of this boy at the age of 12. And so we see that in those words that Mary tucked away in her heart to ponder what he meant by I must be about my father's business because he wasn't buying hammers and nails, was he? He wasn't looking out any new tools, no transits in Jerusalem. He was with the doctors of the law answering their questions and asking them a few of his own. I would have loved to have heard them at 12 and they all marveled he was consumed with the business of God that was the most important thing to him then all of you children what is the most important thing in your life at 12 the most important thing to Jesus of Nazareth who was a child of 12 just like you are except without sin his father's business was the consuming desire of his life May that be a token to us of what we ought to be. May it be a reminder to us of what is imputed to us. Do you know that I was a perfect 12-year-old? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. By the doctrine of imputation. When God looks at me, he sees a perfect 12-year-old because the Lord Jesus Christ was 12 for me, and that behavior at 12 was applied to my account. And when I stand before God, he will see what I did at 12 through the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and everything I did at 12 that even my parents don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ nailed out of the way on the cross of Calvary Amen. praise his holy name Amen. it's the only hope I have when I stand before him because at 12 there were enough sins to damn a nation to hell the sixth grade think back this is the Lord Jesus Christ do you love him this morning at all Amen. And then I see that he went home and subjected himself to Joseph and Mary. Yes. He left the city of Jerusalem and he went home. And even though Mary was a sinner and Joseph was a sinner, Jesus of Nazareth obeyed his parents and was subject to them. When they said he had to come inside and couldn't play outside any longer, he came inside. When they said it was time to do schoolwork, he did his schoolwork. When they said he had to get up early in the morning and go to work with his father Joseph, he got up early that morning and cheerfully went to work with his father Joseph. When his father Joseph had to be away for a couple of hours, he did not start to play around in the job. He faithfully did what was expected of him while Joseph was gone. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, and I have that kind of righteousness. Do you this morning? Amen. You lay hold of that righteousness by fleeing to Jesus Christ right. and saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. 
No man has ever run to Christ with that language from a heart that is sincerely convicted of their sins that that righteousness is not applied to them. I know that when I stand before God, my creator, I had better be standing there in the righteousness of Jesus Christ or there is no hope for one Jonathan Crosby. But I thank God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Let's jump 18 years to when Jesus was 30. What did Jesus want to do the first time he met a Baptist preacher? You're laughing at me, but I want you to think about it. Had there been Baptists before John the Baptist? No. As soon as a Baptist came on the scene that was preaching the message of repentance and baptism as a symbol of repentance, Jesus went to be baptized of him. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. The first 12 verses are about John the Baptist and his ministry of baptism. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Jesus of Nazareth, seeking to be baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And everyone in this assembly that has not been baptized the Lord God is pleased with us when we are baptized. Right. That is how we please God. Because it is by baptism that we give an answer of a good conscience back to God about the things I'm telling you this morning. About the doctrine of imputation. About the fact that Jesus is fairer than the sons of men. Where do we declare that but most vividly in the waters of baptism when we are buried and raised again from those waters in a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ? burial and resurrection. Jesus did that and it pleased God. And when you do that with a sincere heart, it pleases God. But look at the Lord Jesus Christ. His cousin John says, wait a minute. You baptize me. Remember, John wasn't baptized. God had sent John the Baptist to be the baptizer. Right. And he says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus says, let us give an example of perfect righteousness to both of us you just put me down under the water, cousin, like you're supposed to, because I want to give a perfect lesson of righteousness. Jesus was baptized, and everyone that follows the Lord Jesus Christ should be baptized. Right. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we sang about this particular event this morning as we sang number 234 in our hymnals about tell me the story of Jesus, about him fasting in the desert. I'm not going to read you the passage. I'm going to just point you to it here. Luke chapter 4, verses 1, down through verse 13. The Spirit of God, after his baptism, drove the Lord Jesus Christ out into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was very hungry, and the devil came after him to tempt him. And three powerful temptations are brought to bear on the Lord Jesus Christ by the personal instigation of the devil himself. And Jesus rebuffed every one of them with the word of God. What a Amen. perfect Savior. Amen. Listen, I don't have to fast 40 days and 40 nights to be weak for the temptation of sin. I don't need the devil to come and do it personally. He can send his weakest devils to deal with me. In fact, he wouldn't even need to send them. Because I have within me a heart that still loves sin in my old man. But the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Redeemer, 40 days and 40 nights hungry, the devil himself, and enormous temptations. Listen, the devil's never offered you all the kingdoms of the world. 
Listen, after four hours without eating, if you hand me a piece of bread, I'll eat it. Even if I'm supposed to be on a diet. I'm pitifully weak. We need to do more of this. We need to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is great. He didn't go and appear in the court of King Ferdinand. He went and appeared in the court of the God of heaven. Amen. He didn't ask for a few bucks, for a few oranges on a ship. He went and took the book out of the hand of him that sits in the throne that had our everlasting redemption described in it. And my name is inscribed in that book. For in the book of the everlasting covenant is the book of life as well, which includes together the beneficiaries and all the benefits of that great covenant. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to, in Luke chapter 4, let's look at verse 16. What graciousness. Oh, I want to be gracious. Do you know why I want to be gracious? Because the Bible tells me to be gracious. Right. The Bible says, let your speech be always with grace. <clears throat> He was. And you know how God will see me? As being gracious with the graciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He knew the hearts of all men. He came to his hometown where he had grown up and he knew that they were all skeptics, scornful unbelievers. And he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when an opportunity was given for the reading of the scripture, he volunteered and he went forward and he opened the book to this place and read Luke 4:16 and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the sabbath day and stood up for to read and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Amen. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Those unbelievers. He turns to them and gives them a little lesson in election. And they try to lead him outside that synagogue and destroy him. But I want you to see Jesus Christ knew all that before he ever went in there the first time. But he went in there and he read the word of God on the Sabbath day. And he sat down and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all the people bear witness that he did it very, very graciously. He is fairer than the sons of men. I would have been much more like James and John. Do you know what James and John would have done at this moment? They'd have called fire down from heaven and just consumed that whole synagogue. Now you're talking my line. But Jesus is fairer than the sons of men. Jesus is the one that would say to James and John later, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. The son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, not to destroy them, because I gave him many reasons to destroy me and no reason to save me. But he has saved me by his grace. When Jesus met sinful women, despised by the religious leaders around them, what would he do? Receive them, forgive them, defend them, and honor them in front of those wicked, self-righteous men. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He was tempted in every point like you're tempted. I don't care what sin tempts you the most. Our Lord Jesus Christ faced it. I will be happy to elaborate with anyone who doubts that. I will happily show you how his life mirrors your life, except in an infinite degree, and he was able to endure all those temptations. You think you have burdens on you that you cannot bear? 
he had all the sins and all the griefs and all the sorrows and all the diseases of the nation of Israel on him. And he bore it up with 12 men who wanted to fight and complain and argue and who couldn't learn anything in three and a half years. I'll take anything that you think you've got in your life and I'll show you that the Lord Jesus Christ endured far more and won the victory. Amen. I want men especially to love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ endured more temptation from women than any other man. You say, don't speak disrespectfully about my Lord. I didn't say he sinned. I said he endured more temptation than any other man. Has there ever been a more desirable man that walked this earth than Jesus of Nazareth? What woman would not be drawn to the most gracious, kindest, strongest, that had all the answers and that behaved himself perfectly like the Lord Jesus Christ. What woman would not be drawn to a man who healed all the diseases, healed their relatives, cast out devils, delivered their families, fed multitudes, and did all that the Lord Jesus Christ did? We read of incidents in the Bible where women were down intimately kissing his feet, crying upon his feet, and wiping those feet with the hairs of their head. Any men in here think that that could happen to you and you wouldn't have any thoughts but forgiveness? The Lord Jesus Christ did. Right. I want all men to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He had a great company of women that followed him at all times. And I say that because when we're going to stand before God, men, our women don't really understand temptation like we understand that I'm speaking to you right now. When we stand before God, we will stand there in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ who endured and suffered that temptation along with all others, yet without sin. Amen. If you think of the power of his miracles, are you ever disappointed? No. Taking a couple of fish sandwiches from McDonald's and feeding a multitude of 5,000 men. They were hungry. There were 5,000 men besides women and children. They were all full when they were finished eating, and they took up 12 baskets full. How about telling the ocean, the, the sea, to shut up? Right. He didn't whisper. You know, I get so sick of that one song we sing. He didn't get up and say, peace. That was just a way back then of saying, shut up. They didn't have our English combination of shut up. He was, peace, be still. Right. And what had been a great storm became a great calm, if you want to think about the power of his miracles. If you want to think about the compassion of his miracles, which one do you want to go to? Right. How about the widow of Nain? You know, that's one of my favorites, Luke chapter 7 and verse 11 when he happened upon the funeral of a widow's only son. He walked over to her in, in the procession. He walked over to her and touched her on the shoulder and told her not to fear and halted a funeral procession right. and went over to that funeral buyer and lifted that son off it and presented it to his mother. And the Bible tells us he had compassion on that widow woman. That's my Savior. Right. That's the Lord of glory stooping to a poor the desolate woman and returning to her her son that is Jesus of Nazareth he hasn't changed a whit when you're suffering he's watching and he says cast all your care upon me for I care for you did you know that I've got goosebumps telling you but you know what goosebumps don't mean anything does your heart love the Lord Jesus Christ do you have confidence that you can go to him and that he will have compassion upon your situation? Amen. He is able, brethren. He is a glorious Savior. Do you know what he would tell all those that he delivered in his, with his miracles? Tell no man. Because he was never a self-promoter. Isn't it disgusting sometimes to see self-promoters on our television claiming the name of Christ? He never promoted himself. Right. If you measure him by his zeal, 
How much did he love the house of God? Amen. Did he make himself a scourge and clean out the house of God and say, you have made the house of prayer a dave's? And the disciples were in total awe as he went and did this, as he sat there and put nine strings of leather on a wooden handle before he went in there. Listen, this was premeditated. Right. He sat there and made himself a scourge. The Bible tells us that. And he drove them out of the house of God. And the disciples stood and the Holy Spirit gave them understanding of Psalm 69, where it says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Right. Now is the zeal of God's house eating any of you up? Did it destroy you that you had to wait until Sunday morning to get here? Is the zeal of the house of God eating you up? Well, it ate up the Lord Jesus Christ, and you stand before God in his righteousness. And if you want to have a glorious Savior, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's fairer than all the sons of men. If you want to measure his prayer, he would go out into a mountain by himself and pray all night in prayer to God. When he was facing his crucifixion, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed earnestly and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in his devotion to God. At that hour of need, he knew what to do. He lived the life of faith. He knew what to do when he was troubled. He prayed and he went to his father. His forgiveness, he forgave Peter before he sinned and he forgave Peter after he sinned. Before he sinned, he told Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Even while he was listening to the horribly impulsive foolish promises of a man who wouldn't keep them four hours. He had already forgiven them. And then he te- the angels tell the women, go and tell my dis- the, the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you into Galilee. He'll meet you there. What forgiveness, what tenderness. He wept for Lazarus and allowed beloved John to lie in his bosom at supper. He was about his father's assignment until it was done. He never gave up working until he said, it is finished. When wicked enemies tried to confound them, confound him, he confounded them. A glorious savior. It's all in Matthew 22. You can read about it there. I'm thankful that he said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. He was talking about you a Gentile, outside the Jewish fold. I'm thankful it doesn't require of us anything that is not easy and light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is a glorious Savior. Far better than Solomon. Solomon put put a burden of taxation on the nation of Israel that was horrible. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not tax us in any such way. He says, I am meek and lowly. Come and find rest for your souls with me. I'll do the work for you. Stand still and see the salvation of God. His affection is most secure. He says, no man can pluck you out of my hand, and no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand, and I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Knowing our affection for him, he promises to return for us, so that where I am, there ye may be also. He does not want us apart from him. His relationship toward us is like a shepherd seeking sheep. And do you know what kind of a sheep I was? Every day, I'd run toward the fence and jump over and try to get lost on a hillside, see if I could find a wolf that would eat me just because I liked the color of their green eyes. Foolish, rebellious, but he comes after us. Amen. He leaves the 90 and 9 and comes after the one, praise his glorious name. He is condescendingly kind. Instead of calling us servants, and I would give anything to be a servant of the Most High God, he calls us friends in John chapter 15. He doesn't like the term servant. He likes the term friend because I've told you everything that I'm going to do. He didn't come just to give us life. He came to give us an abundant life. Amen. There are no skeletons in his closet because when he was brought before Pilate and Herod, they both had to testify, I find no fault in him at all. 
after his resurrection? Who does he meet first? St. Peter or Mary Magdalene? He meets Mary Magdalene and shows us a tenderness there and a regard for sinners that should comfort our souls. And brethren, what a savior he can be. He can make your heart burn. Amen. Because when he walked on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, after he had left, they looked at each other and said, did you feel what I felt while he opened the scriptures to us and walked with us and talked with us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Have you known those moments when your heart burned within you with love for the Lord Jesus Christ? He is not at a distance watching. He is willing to come into our hearts and to have fellowship with us and to bless us. May we seek him and delight in him as we should. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We would see Jesus. Amen. I hope that's your heart. There's a needful thing, and it's the good part. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of him. I hope that you will. May the Lord bless the preaching this day for you to remember two things. He is fairer than all the sons of men. He is the Lord Jesus Christ and worthy of our highest praise. Two, he has given us his perfect righteousness so that we are seen by God, having lived the perfect life that he lived. And he has taken all of our sins and died for them, which we will consider tonight. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.